and welcome to Insights. This is episode 39. Uh, I'm Dane Phillips, and I have two guests today, so that will automatically make it cool. Um, also, one of them I know quite well. I'm really excited to talk to her. That is Will from McKinsey um, and at Wharton now. And then we also have Rhea, who's from the UK and also at Wharton. So be a really good chat. Uh, thank you both for being here. Really appreciate it. And maybe we can kick things off with Will, if you'll introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah. Hi. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm, as Dan mentioned, I'm Will uh, before Warden. I was at McKinsey uh, Bangkok office, um, and I'm here at Warden on also like McKinsey sponsorship. Uh, excited for the discussion today. Hi, Ria. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, Dane. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Ria. I'm from the UK originally, and uh, before school, uh, I did my undergrad at the London School of Economics. I was studying economics, and then after that, I worked with Bank of America's London office for four years before coming to Wharton. Okay, well, cool. Uh, so banking, Wharton, makes total sense. I'll be interested to hear about um, why you decided, you know, LSE is obviously a phenomenal school. Um, but you do have great MBA programs as well. You got LBS available to you as a two-year. You got Oxford and Cambridge. So I um, want to chat a little bit about why the US and, and how that will fit into your post-MBA goals. Um, Will, let me just clarify, uh, you're a McKinsey scholar, so you have to go back to McKinsey unless you want to give them a lot of money. Uh, so did you do an internship or uh, did you just kind of hang out since you have McKinsey sitting there waiting for you? Yeah, I, I did. My I think it's uh, the contract, the sponsorship contract differs, depends on the office that you're coming from. But for me, like they they let me do internship, and I think that's the main reason why I wanted to do MBA, just to try like uh, other things apart from the consulting. Uh, and I did intern at Adobe uh, past summer, and cool. yeah, I'm thinking about it. But I think there's also an option like after MBA, I don't have to go back um, to McKinsey right away, um, so I could do what we call industry leave, and then just like work somewhere else or like maximum two extra years before going back yeah it'd be like a long externship yeah uh and then your bond is the same no matter when you go back yeah actually i think if the longer i wait to go back um the more uh, compounding interest is gonna be on my oh bond. man you better hurry back <laughs> go back right yeah. now so, so that's like the, the incentive for me to go to go oh, back sorry. like sooner <laughs> right well, cool. Um, well, one of your fellow McKinsey scholars uh, got to do, he stayed in New York. So he's at uh, McKinsey, uh, I think New Jersey, maybe not NYC. Um, what are your opportunities to stay in the States or are you wanting to go back to, to Thailand? Um, yeah, for, for me, yeah, that's also an option. But I think right now, I think given the all the economic um conditions i think it's more difficult um this year to transfer offices um mm. i think i heard a lot of people who try to transfer to the u.s offices and some like succeeded some did not um but for me i feel like if i'm gonna stay in the states i feel like consulting the nature of the work i expect it to be quite similar like anywhere it's just like the specific industry that might not be available in like southeast asia for example if i go back that's the only benefits of staying here and doing consulting work so like if i'm gonna stay here i think i'm gonna do um, something else so that i get like a more like different experience yeah 
Well, I will say, I know what your project was right before you went to Wharton, and I'm pretty sure it would be different in the States than the uh, you know, largest conglomerate, largest company in Thailand, uh, which is, you know, what is what it is. So, um, but I would love to talk about that more. But Ria, I'm really uh, interested to hear, uh, and I think uh, everyone out there will be interested to hear why somebody from the UK, because we have a ton of clients that want to obviously want to go to Cambridge, uh, want to go to Cambridge. Oxford, LBS is sort of the, the, the dream school, the 15-month, 18-month, 21-month. Um, NCAD's still pretty popular, although they opened a Singapore branch, or maybe diluted the brand a little bit. But when you have those at your back door, uh, why would you go all the way across the pond, and especially to Philly? You, you'd been to Philly before, right? I had, yes. Um, I, think, I think it really depends, and it's, it's clearly a very... <clears throat> unique decision. I mean, for me personally, I grew up in the UK. I was born there. I spent my whole life there, um, longer term, hoping to go back and kind of see a longer term future in London. So having also done my undergrad in London and then worked there for four years um, was kind of coming to a point where I was thinking about opportunities and horizons. And I think that I thought that coming to the States would be a great way to kind of tick a lot of boxes on my list in terms of the overall academic experience and, and also um, coming to kind of a very big class size, uh, a school with kind of very wide reach for finance, um, which is what I was interested in. So I think a couple of compounding factors. And I mean, I mentioned that I worked for Bank of America before Wharton. So getting to connect with a lot of my US colleagues who had maybe had similar MBA experiences in the US, although not exactly with Wharton, but other US schools, I think that the idea of kind of having an experience that would be different and, and unique uh, to my journey so far was something that I found really exciting. So it will vary for a lot of people. And of course, the UK does have fantastic business school programs as well. So can definitely see that appeal too. Yeah, for sure. But no, I understand. Uh, if you've already had that London experience, like you mentioned, and uh, top flight schools uh, in the UK. Uh, Wharton is the number one finance school in the world, so I know that's hard to turn down. I do like to te tease people about Philly because London is one of the world's great cities. Cities, uh, Philadelphia <laughs> is—I don't know. Uh, I guess it depends. Um, but Philadelphia could be one of the world's great cities. Uh, I, I'm probably not one of the people that thinks it is, but um, but yeah, I mean, actually, I'm kind of interested in that. In fact. Uh, Will will find this very familiar, but I've had people just go to because Penn is a great undergrad, right? And the parents will go there and they'll take their kids, and they just uh, Thai parents are pretty protective, and and the the the, the city of Philly will scare people off uh, from UPenn, which is a great school, or Wharton, which is a great school. Um, they want to be in NYC or Boston or something like that. When you decide on the U.S., obviously you have exposure to these big East Coast schools. You got the West Coast. Uh, was Wharton just such a big draw that that's pretty much the focus? Or did you think uh, Philadelphia would be a cool community that you wanted to check out? I think for me, it was always a question of, of being on the East Coast. Um, so just in terms of proximity to home, proximity to New York, which is a really big hub for, for finance-related roles. So that was something that I was very excited about. And then for Wharton specifically, as we mentioned, the finance aspect and the draw of the school, I think one other thing that was really exciting to me was kind of a very big community. So our class is 900 students. And I think that the appeal of being able to 
go to class amongst alongside all of these fantastic personalities with very varied experience was something that I found really exciting. So I think Philadelphia was something that came with it. And I will say, um, just kind of having had the one year plus now of time living in Philly, um, it definitely has grown on me in a lot of ways. I think it has yeah. been nice being able to dis- discover the city, yes, with uh, alongside my fellow classmates and, and feel that we have that kind of big Wharton community that is kind of, we all live together, kind of within five blocks of each other in the same part of um, Written House. So that has also been really fantastic as well. So a lot of uh, positive aspects as well on that front. That's cool. Um, and I mean, obviously, any big city is going to be a big city, right? There's parts of um, mm-hmm. NYC, well, like Columbia, for example. Columbia just built a new campus a little further north from their main campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's not quite as insular as it used to be, but I mean, it's way up on the Upper West Side, north of Harlem. Um, NYU's kind of spread out and things like that, and maybe a little more in the city. Uh, with the Boston schools, I think you do have some enclaves, I guess, uh, of the schools. For both of you, does Wharton feel like that? Do you you said all within five blocks? I mean, do you, does everybody really kind of live, study, hang out close together? Yeah, I think I think I would second. Yeah, like on on this point, I think like one one like benefits of being in Philly, like it's not like New York or like London or Bangkok that like I think everyone would have their own network outside of school and it. And all like there are several options of like where to where to sit where to stay where to leave. I feel like the fact of like being in Philly like makes us like uh, more like tight knit that like because um, I think yeah uh, I think the school is actually on the other side of the river. I uh, like how 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 we how we call it. But then uh-huh. um, the the rest of like the MBA students, most MBA students stay in the area we call like Within House Square, and there are several like popular apartment buildings or like mm. myself i live in like a brownstone uh, which is mm, like just a house cool. right? right so um yeah we live like within like 15 minutes walk like to each other so i think mm. that makes it more dif- uh more like easy for us to just like host something or like uh yesterday i just like went like over um for a quick dinner at my friend's place i think that that makes the community very tight i think nice and Ria, for you, having been in London, um, well, I guess maybe if you could compare the two, right? LSE, is it kind of its own enclave? And then when you were working in London, are you sort of experiencing the whole city? Maybe juxtapose those for us. Yeah, exactly. And really echo everything that Will said. I think when I was in London and, and you know, as an undergrad and also working after that, um, London, you kind of get to experience the whole city at once. Um, your friends will definitely not live kind of in the same level of proximity that you do it during this like unique two-year experience. So I think just juxtaposing those, um, Wharton is very much community-driven and then the experience very much reflects that. Whereas I think like with a more kind of city uh, feel, uh, you kind of have a, a different uh, lens, so to speak, in the way that you navigate the city alongside navigating your undergrad or your work okay well cool uh who has a car either of you I who in the group don't. no yeah Does somebody yeah uh i think i know i know a few people who have cars but i think you don't really need a car in philly because 
like the school is just in walk like walking distance or you can take uh, buses some people take the trolley which i don't because i find it a bit scary but that's <laughs> also an option scary like yeah, mrt think... scary uh like bus scary um what give bangkok people uh, maybe some context um it's like it's different scary like it's like so I, I use it once and then it's just like pretty empty when I use it. But then it's just like, this is the old atmosphere. It's like that, that it didn't feel that safe to me, honestly, uh, when uh, I used it. It's just a vibe. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you say empty because like the, uh, the metro in Mexico City, for example, like you can't move. I mean, it's so packed, right? <laughs> so that has, you know, that's scary just because, you know, you can't move or breathe. Um, but I would assume, you know, an empty trolley can feel that way as well. Um, I have friends in Prague, but that's everybody jumps on, uh, you know, a, the equivalent of a trolley um, just because it's open air. You don't have to go downstairs, stuff like that. But I ask because there's always one, usually one Thai will buy a car um, and then they become the taxi for everybody and they hate it. Uh, so uh, I was just curious if somebody in the group got a car and suckered into driving everywhere. I feel like the main kind of benefits of owning a car is if you have a family or you have a partner and, and they also move mm. to Philly with you. Those are the, I think the main people in our class world that I know who have cars or perhaps who have family in, in Jersey or New York or somewhere close enough that they can drive and kind of make more frequent weekend trips. So I think that that's when the car comes in pretty handy. But for most of us, um, it's not as well said really necessary for going to school or getting around or um, I think parking and storage is also can be a little bit of an inconvenience as well, uh, depending on how much you're willing to to budget for it. So I think overall, um, you can have one, maybe a nice to have, but not definitely not required to to have a, a good experience as well. Well, cool. Um, so also just a little context. So was Bu well was Bu the year before you and Hakan and are they your year or are they graduated? Ah, uh, yes. Before? Yeah, Hakan, they're, they're a year above, yeah. Year above. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So you have, you have cool people. So um, you have cool, well, Hakan's, Hakan's Thai for all intents and purposes. So Hakan's super cool. Um, you have the Thai oil CEO's kid, I think, was there at the same time. Views super nice. Um, it's cool that you've been able to network beyond that, right? So, uh, you know, when, I, when we talk about what you were doing, which we're about to jump into... Um, the rugby club, uh, which I'm really interested to hear about. But it's cool that you could be insular, I think. Wharton's a big enough Thai community that, you know, there are always four to six Thais there normally. Uh, but uh, it, it sounds like you have a community beyond that. Uh, is that accurate? Yeah, I think I think for me it's slightly different because I I also like when I applied I also expected like oh like Warden usually yeah, as you mentioned have like a lot of ties but for me for example like my year my class there are only three ties um, oh wow including me yeah so it's like quite small like last year there are more ties um so I hang out with them a bit but like given that like we only have three ties uh, I think that um kind of makes it like more natural for me to just go out and like meet other people yeah well, and also good. like live in like a house with like three other housemates who are not mm. Thai so mm. like that just helped me like meet more people uh, outside of the the Thai community I think very nice 
So can you t- can you both tell me about uh, Rugby Club? Uh, what does it entail? How'd you get into it? When people say networking in Thailand, they think it's going to be just like wine and I don't know, banking events and, and stuff like that. So um, this would fall under networking, also fun and just kind of enjoying yourself outside of the classroom. But uh, for each of you, why rugby and and what does that what does that include? Is it like trips? Do you do stuff on campus? Can you just tell me about it in general? Yeah, I, I can start. And actually, um, Ria is also involved in a couple of other interesting like clubs, um, like cool. finance related in uh, at Penn and Ward. And I think we can get into that later, but I can and start on rugby. Um, yeah, I think for, for, for me, I like since like school undergrad, I have always like being like in uh, the sport team. Um, so like coming here, um, I saw like try to look for that. And I heard like last year when I joined, um, I heard good things about like rugby is like a women's. Like, I think it's, we are the only women's like sport team at Warden. So oh, wow. I think that's one of the appeal. Um, and I think one of the things that um, I find most rewarding is like most of the people, including myself, we never play rugby. Like we ne- I never touched a rugby ball like before. <laughs> last year um and and i think to see myself and also like my team learning this new thing together from like we start from how to like hold a ball like how to pass the ball to until like learning these rules which are which i found like counterintuitive you know like you have to like pass backwards and then all these other small rules that we we had to learn uh like from that point, like, oh, like, I never touched the ball until, like, we can play as a team and compete with, like, other schools. I think I found that experience, like, very rewarding. Uh, and, like, I feel like most of the people in the clubs, like, it's, like, self-selection in a way. Like, oh, like, you want to, people who want to be in a team and, like, spend time together. And it's quite refreshing to hang out with them. And also, like, like not having to be, like, a business school students all the time i feel like that's quite a a good um experience outside of school yeah it's an intellectual break uh i would think right um i mean obviously there's uh no intellect to the game but it's a fundamentally different experience than pretty much everything else (laughs) yeah um and then you add in the physicality of that uh and i think that's probably yeah it's a good cardio (laughs) <laughs> running away from people that are trying to hurt you yeah that is really <laughs> good cardio. so yeah for sure um and ria uh what was your reasoning and maybe your pathway uh to the same club sure i mean very similar to will i think that i was excited to to get involved with the community in some kind of sporting um avenue but wasn't 100 percent sure what that would look like i think as will mentioned it's a great form of cardio um, I did play a little bit of touch rugby when I was in school. So when I heard about the women's rugby club, I thought, okay, this is a great way for me to get back into it. It's a great way for me to meet a lot of other fellow women who are excited about their team sport aspect, who are excited to um, potentially get to learn a new sport and also a great way to meet um, second years. I feel that, you know, that even though our class sizes are so big, um, you kind of get a chance to meet a sort of segment of the Wharton population through each extracurricular club that you partake in, right? And I think that this was a great way to really broaden our horizons, introduce ourselves to new people, and um, 
just but kind of further build on a lot of the community aspects that we already talked about. And I think the rugby has been a really great avenue for us all to get to know each other, to spend time together. We kind of, in terms of our activities, have a mix of things. So we have uh, two practices a week. Uh, we also partake in, in school tournaments with other schools. So it has been fantastic introducing us to, you know, fellow MBA counterparts from other schools as well. And um, we also do team socials, which which are very fun and um, kind of further help us build relationships with each other, get to know each other outside of the classroom and um, really explore what um, what everyone else is getting up to in their kind of Wharton journeys, right? Which also running like parallel to yours, but can be on very different tracks. Uh, their priorities will look different, their end goals will look different. So I think that overall, it's a very um, kind of all-encompassing uh, kind of route to to building your your path among the Warden community. So it's been fantastic from that perspective. Very nice. So you mentioned, I guess, uh, early on your classes, you're going to be in with, with first years, right? And so if you want to, is that what you're alluding to, that the, this puts you in connection with the second years right away because the courses don't do that? I think that you you have orientation or what we call preterm with all the first years. So that's very much with your class. And then I think in the first semester, you set a lot of your core classes or required like mandated classes as part of the curriculum with fellow first years as well. So just kind of by selection, you end up, I think a lot of people, although not everyone, end up selecting core courses kind of earlier in their experience. So by default, you end up uh, with a lot of fellow first years and through new club events, you end up with a lot of fellow first years as well. So I think that right. um, through clubs is, is kind of one exciting way to get to know them. Through electives is also another way. Um, so you, when you self-select into, you know, classes that you have an interest in or that you think look uh, relevant to your future career, I think that that can also vary across first and second years and the class makeup can look very different. So that's also another way. But I think that clubs have been a kind of a great way to um, build those initial early relationships, especially in an informal um, kind of low pressure environment like a team sport like rugby when you essentially have to have each other's backs and and um, you have a chance to to speak kind of outside of the classroom outside of the networking and, and really get to know each other so but that's also a big I mean I think that's great uh, but maybe for people listening out there I, I know that for a lot of people they instantly want to for example I've heard recruiting starts day one if not before you even arrive, there are some people that instantly just throw themselves into that entirely. So committing yourself to two days a week plus rugby, plus you might be joining, um, you know, finance clubs and things like that. Uh, you, it would be kind of easy to put that off and say, I'll do the extracurriculars later. But from what you're saying, this is kind of nice to get into early because it's going to connect you to a broader and more diverse group pretty instantaneously. Will, yeah, I um, think I, did you get to do that because yeah. you knew you had McKinsey or did you also start recruiting the moment <laughs> you showed up? Yeah, I think, I think recruiting, um, like timeline is different based on like the, the industry or like the, the job that you're trying to get into. I think, mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. Like for finance, I think there's a, like, my understanding is that it starts pretty early, like, like the first semester, like. Uh, in at Warden, we have like a quarter system too. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I think like by like the second quarter, like I I don't see many of my 
friends at class in class anymore because they like right. really like really focusing on like oh like getting those coffee chats like they have like interviews they have to go to New York um so like I think the recruiting starts super early for fi- uh, people who are trying to get into finance um but I think it also ends pretty early for them too so that's like yeah trade off for me I uh, because I wanted to recruit for tech um, um it starts pretty late um so like i started like submitting my resume like in in around like november um and then like the interview um invites like didn't come out until like after new year for example so the timeline is a bit different so i have like much more free time like comparative to my peers uh in the first semester um so yeah like i i i so i could like explore a bit more things uh, early on that's really cool and uh, Ria, but you're in finance, right? So how did your recruiting schedule fit with your extracurriculars? Sure. I mean, um, I didn't recruit for investment banking. I recruited for investment management. And that kind of timeline can be uh, quite variable depending on, you know, whether you're recruiting for companies that have a kind of more mature structure mm-hmm. in place versus those that have a little bit more of an enterprise. So it was really a question of just balancing those extracurriculars because I knew that I did want to have a very all-encompassing Wharton experience. And I think a big part of that is that the club scene is, is getting to kind of learn new skills and, and build new networks and kind of different avenues. So I was excited about being able to balance both of those. So I think that, as, as Will kind of said, everyone's journey is going to look a little bit different. It all kind of depends on you, I think, being very intentional about your time and, and deciding, you know, which aspects you want to lean into when and kind of some weeks will be you know, more heavy with recruiting prep than others. And that's okay. Um, I think to take kind of a little bit of a step back from some of your extracurriculars in those moments, but I think everyone finds their own way to make it work. And I think that that's very true of, I guess, not just Warden, but business school in general is, is you know, finding what you need to prioritize and when you need to prioritize it and, and just kind of going from there. Uh, and were you recruiting in the U.S.? I was, yes. I mean, I kind of recruited for, for both. I was also open to opportunities in, in London, just given that I see myself at some point going back full time. Um, I did end up interning in New York, which I really enjoyed. I thought it was a great experience, great kind of um, parallel to London, if you will. Uh, so I had a really good time um, interning in New York, but was as part of my recruiting journey, I was applying to firms in London and in the States. Okay. And for you, um, I'm, I'm really just interested because uh, you're going to be returning post-Brexit, right? So a lot of banking jobs, from what uh, my network has said, I think a lot of banking jobs moved to Brussels, and maybe this depends on what type of banking jobs and things like that. But will you uh, be, do you feel like you'll be returning to uh, a dynamic that, that wasn't there when you left? Or, or what are your expectations? I think somewhat. I mean, when I started at Wharton uh, last year, uh, a lot of the kind of Brexit um, moving parts had already began to shift, right? We had the vote in 2016 and then everything from there. Um, and I worked in finance, so clearly a, an interesting time from a regulatory perspective. I think right. a lot of those pieces had already started to kind of move and we were seeing very much um, what kind of a post Brexit UK uh, working environment would look like already. So I wouldn't expect it to be radically different. Um, I think London in terms of being a 
financial hub or center for kind of European operations is still very much true. I just think that it's become kind of a broader reach. So our counterparts in Paris, Brussels, as you mentioned, Germany, I think there are a lot of secondary kind of hubs as well that have, you know, emerged in parallel. And now also we work very closely with, and and I think that that is, will continue to hold true. Um, so I think it's, a, it's almost exciting because you get to count, collaborate a little bit more with your European counterparts, which I personally got to do a bit of towards the end of my time with Bank of America and, and really enjoyed. So would expect some changes, would expect it to be a little dynamic, but similar in essentials to before when I left. That's really cool. Um, so obviously it was a lot of change, but you went through a lot of those changes prior to leaving. And so, like you said, the, exactly. the, a lot of the chips had already fallen. Um, Mm -hmm. goals are just always interesting to me recruiting is interesting because uh well for example all the round twos are are doing goals essays right now uh and it's like they're supposed to know exactly what's going to happen two and a half years from now three years from now um and not only is that just hard because the fund like the fundamental goal of an mba is to change your life right so goals evolve experiences uh change how you think and what you want to do but also politically economically all this change occurs for these two years that you're gone. And I think a lot of people return to a world, you know, Will will go back to a Thailand that is slightly different than the one she left. I mean, this is just kind of the, the, the how things work, right? Um, but when you have really big things like an economic block kind of changing its structure, um, that's that's a big one as well. Uh, while you're, you know, for and this is speaking to both of you, but while you're in school, and you're learning all these cool things and you're meeting all these cool people and you're doing the internships and you're watching the world change around you. Like how often are your, are your gears having to turn and say, wow, I, I have to rethink all of this. Or are you just saying, you know what, I'll figure it out. The day I graduate, I'll deal with the world that is, you know, when that happens. What, what is that like? Mm, I think I can start. I think, I think for me, Honestly, like, yeah, I, I, I try to keep up with, like, what's happening in Thailand at the same time of, like, okay, I'm trying to, like, look out and, like, what to see what's happening in the States, right? Because, for example, like, this summer we had, like, election in Thailand uh, during May. So, like, I, I, I follow the news pretty, like, closely because, like, oh, there are a lot of, like, twists and turns, like, and as you may know, um, that that happened and that might have, like, significant impact on, on like, how Thailand's going to be. Uh, at least in the next like four years, right? So I think that's definitely something that I try to like keep up with. Um, at the same time, I think for the U.S., like also like elections coming up in twenty twenty five. I think that like for me, yeah, I think I I might stay here for like short term, like one or two years before going back. So like that might not impact me as much. But I think that the sentiments of like um the recruit like the employee employers or the companies that would impact me in in one way or another so i also try to keep up with like what's happening in the states um i think apart from that i think what really impacts like students life for example like i think it's a overall economy right um i think especially in the u.s it impacts like the uh, last year like the people who just graduated quite a lot I think like especially for like tech uh, industry, for example, like there were a lot of layoffs um, last year. I think I, I heard a few um, of the graduates like struggled a little bit to try to get like full time offer. I think this year we see a lot of 
like um, decline in terms number of like job postings, for example, especially for tech, I think it's like 50% less. Um, so I think that's something that um, like impact us um, from like the outside. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely the tech layoffs were pretty brutal. So I mean, that's a great example. Um, but and the, but the same is true of interning, right? Trying to get in, you, you want to pivot out of well, not necessarily pivot out of MBB, but you know, get exposure to tech. And there's not even enough jobs for the tech people, much less people trying to move into that space. Um, I know some people had offers actually withdrawn um, during uh, some of the layoffs and stuff. So that's pretty brutal. But um, but a lot of that obviously you can't see coming, right? You, you, you can't possibly know that's going to happen. And you just kind of have to navigate it in the moment. So that's kind of, to some degree, that just reminds you how not in control of these things you are, the macroeconomic things, the geopolitics, all of that kind of stuff, right? Um, but it is kind of hard to like just ignore it entirely. So uh, Ria, for you, kind of same question. How much are you paying attention to what's going on? How much are you having to think about it? Are you having to adjust your plans? Yeah, of course. I think um, as Will said, it's, it's really important to kind of remain update and kind of keep yourself very current um, as you go about recruiting and, and, and it's important um, as you connect with more and more people right they expect you to demonstrate a knowledge in the sphere and understanding of what's going on understanding of the dynamics and how those might be changing in, in the space that you're looking to recruit in and also the broader economy what kind of trends would be in, in my case top of mind for investors and how how are we going about navigating those I think some of the best advice that I received very early on in the MBA, which I'm, I'm quite grateful for, is, you know, to be like fixed about your goals, but very flexible about your methods. And I think that's super important. I think that people can, it's very easy to over-index on kind of the first role or the exit that you achieve out of MBA. Um, but as we mentioned, economies can be unpredictable. Um, employers will have changing needs in terms of who they're looking to hire or, or in terms of what kind of capacity they have. And, and that's okay. I think just as long as you have kind of a clear end goal in mind or um, you're prepared to kind of absorb new information as you go and incorporate that into your end goal, it is easy or like I would say relatively achievable to, to kind of think, okay, what is going, what is the next role that will get me one step closer to my ultimate end goal? And I think that being able to view kind of each step on that journey as a, as a learning point and something that can get you closer and is relevant to you and you will pick up new skills from is a really important mindset to have rather than you know I need to work at this one specific place and this is my dream and I have no flex in how I right. want to achieve this because as we mentioned environments can, can be very unpredictable it is competitive uh, you do have a lot of great people going for the same roles and I think that being able to be adaptable in, in your approach is, is really important and, and will help keep you sane as you recruit. <laughs> That's all very good advice. I, um, I mean, we have to say that at the application point as well, because uh, I think people can stray too much in either direction. You have a lot of general stuff, like I want to advance my career or something, uh, mm -hmm. which is not a good reason to spend a quarter of a million dollars, right? So you do need more specificity than that. Um, but at the same time, for example, the worst, obviously we would never say this, but I've seen applications that say, my goal is to join McKinsey. In fact, that's literally the worst goal you can have, right? Um, just because it's the easiest thing to destroy. Like, what if they don't hire you? And you're like, oh, then I will give up and crawl into a hole, right? So um, having a very, a too narrow of a goal, either intellectually or in the application, 
I think can be restricting for sure, as you mentioned, and dangerous just because the world is dynamic. And as you mentioned that employers want to see that dynamism, so do adcoms, right? So goals are one of the most dangerous parts of the interview. Wharton, let's see, Wharton is, I w- the word lucky is what I almost said, but that's a bad uh, term for it. But because of the group interview, your one-on-one is only like 10 minutes, right? So um, the group interview is really t- difficult for sure. It scares the hell out of people and justifiably so. Um, but uh, it's, I think it's fun and always fun to practice. And will Hakan help? Didn't Hakan sit in on your? Yeah. 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 I see? think he, yeah, he helped. <laughs> uh, and maybe even view but see that's what's so cool about it anyway i just love it it's a good excuse to get to see people and chat and the warden group interview is very difficult because of its dynamism uh it's a really good way to measure uh, a lot of different things about somebody in a hurry so that's great but goals are the most dangerous part of a fit interview which would be much more common at uh, HBS, which is, uh, you know, non-blind, and they're just sitting there looking at your app and spend 30 minutes on your goals if they wanted to. Um, Stanford's uh, an hour and a half interview, MIT, uh, a lot of goals. So I think goals are dangerous uh, for different schools uh, to different degrees. Uh, So, but that being said, uh, you know, that's for people that are applying and trying to see how does the application correlate to the experience. Uh, But in in real life, as opposed to application life, in real life, it's still really important to have some flexibility there. Uh, and I think that's uh, a really uh, great piece of advice. And and I think, sorry, if you could use your phrasing again to be sort of stringent in your end goal and flexible in your methodology, what was the phrase? Yeah, exactly. To be firm about your goals, but flexible about your methods. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, yes, uh, there's obviously... The point between A and B is not always a straight line. Uh, rarely so, right? So, um, yeah. And, you know, you really do hope. I've talked to a lot of really cool people um, and get to talk to them about goals. And everyone freaks out about goals essays. And I do have to tell them about maybe 5% of people I've ever, I've been doing this for 17 years. 5% of people I've met actually do their goals. Like it just, life doesn't work that way. Um, so unless it's family business, you have no choice, uh, people usually find, uh, another pathway, right? So for example, one of the guys, um, was one of the eight youngest managers in the world at Facebook. You know, he was doing all this cool stuff and trying to stop, uh, the Rohingya crisis in Myanmar. And I mean, just really meaningful, cool stuff, but Obviously, that can burn you out. And then he decided to do a startup because he was sitting next to somebody cool at some random talk. You know, so it could be a class that changes your life. It could be a professor. It could be an internship, but it also could just be chat a chat with with somebody random. So uh, you do, and I, but I, this is also a benefit of another of an M seven, right? When you go to Wharton you can move sideways because it's it's Wharton, right? If you don't have your first offer, there's still going to be other offers. I think if you're going to the 25th, 30th, 50th best school in the world, if you don't have your first choice, the second, third, fourth choices aren't always there. So another great reason to shoot for the top schools because somebody is hiring you know, people from Wharton, right? So, um, so even your friends or maybe yourselves, as you see some of those uncertainties emerge, um, 
how easy it has it has it been, or maybe what has been their methodology uh, in adjusting to those changes? Like somebody, do they just move to a different company with the same role? Um, have you seen people uh, pivoting to different countries but doing the same thing? Because that's what a lot of Thais say, right? Like I want to work in the states, but if I need to, I'll just go back to Thailand to do the exact same thing, right? So I don't know if the UK works like that. Uh, and the, maybe just the people around you, yourselves, whatever your examples may be. Yeah, I think I think for me from like the tech side, right? Because last year, as, as we discussed, like there are a lot of uncertainties, like uh, companies that used to have a lot of roles for um, MBAs, like suddenly like drop a lot of roles and like very become very selective. Um, so I think for, for those people, what, what, what I heard is that like, they, they became more flexible in terms of the, like what they apply to, for example, like, um, a lot of people wanted to get into like product management, like become like product manager, for example, that was like a hot, like hottest role, uh, in the job market for a while, but then like they became more like flexible, like, oh, like maybe, um, they could try to just get into like strategy role or like more like ops related role first. And then if they really want to become like product manager, they think like, oh, getting their, your, yourself into the company first. Um, and then that will open, probably open up opportunity to like for internal transfer later. I think that's one uh, very common way for people to try to adjust to the environment. Um, and then also like, I think other people, what they try to do um, was like, yeah, like just look for similar roles in, in other countries. Um, um, I think, yeah, a lot of people also look into like, for example, like some of my um, South Asian friends also look into like Singapore um, or like other markets that um, could offer similar um, professional experience. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, I think product, man I would, yeah. product manager. Sorry, just oh, to sorry, clarify real quickly, like literally that was the buzz. That was the word on everybody's lips. And then I'd be like, what is that? And they were like, I don't know, man. I just, just want to do that. Um, so uh, I don't know that everybody fully understood why they wanted to do it. But, you know, 15 years ago, it was IB. Everybody wanted to be an investment banker because you're rich, right? Um, and um, MBBs have always been sexy. PE was sexy. But product management, I think, for the last several years uh, for tech, for sure. Um, you mentioned, Rhea, that you're, it wasn't IB that you were doing. Those are sort of the first words out of your mouth, right, when we talked about recruiting. Um, what is the, what's the job right now in banking? Is, is there one? I mean, I think PE draws a lot of people. I personally recruited for investment management um, and hoping to long-term go into something in the impact investing space, which I think is exciting, uh, has its drawers. Um, I'm looking forward to hopefully securing something there that I can feel uh, good about pursuing and also um, really have, as I mentioned, kind of a longer-term impact. Um, I think that kind of one thing to Will's point on recruiting and, and kind of being flexible in your strategy. Yes, I do see people also recruiting for roles in Europe, particularly for those of us who have European uh, backgrounds or UK backgrounds. So that is one thing I've seen. And also being kind of a pivot in strategy, right? Because a lot of these firms consulting, investment banking do have quite defined uh, recruitment timelines. And then I think after that, it can become maybe a little bit more enterprise. So Wharton's very relationship driven. You can connect with a very broad, I think over 100,000 network of alumni 
um, as part of your search. And I think that can easily start as some, someone that you met in a networking event or someone that you reached out to through LinkedIn and said, hey, I'm currently a, a first year or second year. I'm very interested in this space. I would love to talk to you more about what you do. And I think that like more often than you might think that can turn into a great relationship that at some point when a role does emerge or an internship emerges, people can can go to, to vouch for you and bat for you. And I think that that is, is extremely valuable um, as you think about kind of where you want to come to school, the kind of network you want to invest in. I think that the power of, of being able to reach out to people, having that common connector between you and someone being very willing to give you that time that could ultimately translate into a great opportunity for you is something that people don't necessarily think about as much as they go into the recruiting process but ultimately at least I think for a lot of my second year friends last year it it ended up being quite valuable when they were searching for full time so also something worth thinking about yeah uh absolutely um I'm thinking back to another podcast where somebody mentioned that um he was doing the one year Kellogg and so nobody was Basically, he got a lot of help because his friends weren't competing with him. So all the all the people with return offers, they were like happy to help him get MBBs. Same thing with banking. So you have all these really amazing people around you that are really willing to help you and root for you in, in this in this way that, uh, you know, you're not just going to get out of a school's traditional uh, recruiting support kind of thing. Right. So your friends are, are really going to be powerful and not just like put to, put in a word for you kind of a thing, but really prep you for interviews, um, point you in the right direction, advocate for you, uh, things of that nature. Um, would you say that if you are looking for somebody, let's so you wanted to do impact investing, right? Um, are mm-hmm. you wanting to network with other people in impact investing or maybe ESG space or is somebody from IB or another aspect of banking just as valuable from a networking I think the, my kind of networking focus maybe has been on, on people currently in the impact investment space, especially as I kind of think about, you know, making that transition, similar students who have made that transition, are especially helpful in terms of understanding, okay, what did you do? How did you go about it? And most importantly, what does your role look like today? Because I think that we have aspirations, everyone has their goals, but I think that it's, it is challenging almost to to really envision what exactly you would look like in that role and how much you would enjoy it without having actually done it um, full time. So I think that that's a big part of it, but sending people with banking experience or indeed people from kind of cross industry experience is always helpful just in terms of understanding their journey, their motivations, what drives them. And I think that secondary connections also are very valuable. If you happen to connect with someone who isn't maybe directly linked to the space that you're into, they have a whole network of their classmates and I think that as you speak to them I think be very transparent about your interests and say if I you know have learned a lot from this conversation I think ultimately where I see myself is is doing x and more often than not at least what I've found is is alumni or people you connect with will say oh I actually know someone in that space I can connect you and I think the warm introductions are always preferred to kind of cold emailing or cold uh phone calling, if you will. And I think that that has, has been extremely powerful as well in helping you kind of build even further as you as you go about your um, networking journey. That's great. I So that makes me think of another cool question. You said a, a great sentence, which is 
uh, seeing somebody in that role can really help you understand if you're a good fit for that role. And one of the, we had a, mm-hmm. uh, we did a UN conference a few years ago and we had a Bain uh, woman speak and talk about one of the challenges of kind of picturing herself as a, as a partner. She is a partner now, which is cool. I just found that out, but picturing yourself as a partner where there were no female partners. So it's hard if you can't see somebody in your role, um, it's hard to envision, you know, how would you fit in that role? Maybe your, your dynamics, whether that's what country you want to live in, you know, having a family, um, things of that nature. So how important or maybe just how cognizant are you of the issue of gender when you're doing networking or looking at jobs or looking at fits for, for both of you? Yeah, I think for me, for tech, I don't see it as like, like a big barrier. It's also like, it before, also because of the roles that I was recruiting for. Um, like I, I was more interested in product marketing. So it's actually like marketing roles that I think um, depends on, on their organization, but I don't see it as like a big issue uh, as compared to some other industries, right? I to me, like my perception is like finance is more male dominated. So I think Ria might might have a lot of interesting points to make here. But for me, I, I didn't see it as like um, a big barrier or big concerns. But going in, I'm, I'm aware of like my own kind of, also, it's also like cultural, like as a Thai, like I, I, I have the tendency not to like very like, oh, I, I think like I'm not, I don't want to oversell myself or like I'm not as outspoken as compared to like, um, like people from like Western culture. So I think it's more for me to uh, be aware of, of that differences um, and, and uh, try to uh, make up for it or, or just um, consciously push myself to um, be, um, sell myself, I think about like the audience of what they're used to. Um, and, and adjust to that, yeah. How many female partners are there at the McKinsey Bank? <laughs> there are, when I left, there were four. Actually, like, we, because, uh, yeah, uh, I think I think Bangkok office, uh, Bangkok office for McKinsey, we're, we did very well in terms of the, like, gender like, equality, like, equality. Like, I think we, we had a, we had, more female consultants than male. That's what Un um, said yeah, in I her think... year. That I mean, yeah, you. I think you guys did a great job of making it happen. But the whole reason it had to be made to happen was because it didn't happen organically, right? Five years yeah, ago, yeah, yeah. Every McKinsey I worked with was was male. So um, yeah, but that that's true. Like even like I I looked at like at the highest level, it's still a problem. For example, like before I left, I saw this like newsletter came out, um, like, oh, about the senior partner election. And like, and at, at the at the top, it said like, oh, we did very well in terms of like gender equality. Uh, by this year, we have 22% of the elected senior partners being female. So I was like, okay, right. is that already like, a good thing that's a like victory right are we cool yeah like we're 50 so percent like, of, of the still, planet it's still definitely yeah. a, a problem but yeah um but for like mba recruiting co- like um context um in the u.s um text specifically i don't think that's a biggest that um issue but yeah we still see at the top they're they're, they're all male like um the leaders are all um man yeah 
Um, and so, I mean, I think that's a lot of the really interesting aspects of, of, of gender issues is that um, it's the unconscious element of them, right? So it's the fact that we we aren't paying attention. Obviously, so I'm a white male. You guys hadn't noticed. So um, it's very easy for white males to ignore everything and be like, yeah, everything's fine, right? Uh, because uh, we don't notice because it's, it's not happening to us, right? So you, you do need to pay attention. Um, so, but as a tie, I think uh, women have children later than Americans. So that's a big thing, right? Um, and they wait longer to get married. Um, you're, at, at least in your socioeconomic group, you're expected to go abroad, get a grad degree, right? This is not true of the whole country, but I would say I'm from uh, El Paso, Texas. Uh, it's a very different uh, place. So uh, I think socioeconomics and ethnicity and all of these things can, can come to, to play on those issues. But um, I mean, it's nice that it's moving in the right direction, but it's still something, like you said, that, that they have to brag about because it, it does need some work still needs to be done. Um, Rhea, for you, as you're networking, do you, I don't know, does gender play a role at all? Do you think about it? Does it happen organically? Are you looking for women in these roles or it really doesn't matter? Um, I, I, it does tend to happen organically. I wouldn't say I specifically um, think about looking for women, although it, it certainly is is interesting when I do manage to connect with them because I think that, you know, when we're thinking about finance specifically, maybe 20 years ago or 30 years ago when um, they recruited for kind of analyst type roles, there weren't necessarily as, as many women as men. And I think that you do see that definitely play a part in, in the broader finance industry as you look kind of further up the pyramid but I will say my graduate class um, was approximately 50% women and I think now the standard is very different to um, how it was before and I think that the industry as a whole acknowledges that it is an issue and that it is going to take I think time to you know promote with, with within make sure that women and uh, other kind of groups make sure that they feel like they have enough representation and enough opportunity in fact to see that but it is always is nice to connect with fellow women in, in finance I think that uh, the school also does a great job of, of connecting with uh, different um, investment organizations and, and banks to uh, host for example diversity recruiting events we have a very strong uh, women in business community here uh, that kind of actively seeks out and promotes those opportunities. And and as we, as we talked about, it is really nice to be able to see other women who have, have made it, so to speak, who have ascended to very senior uh, roles in these kind of impact investing organizations. They've made a huge success of themselves uh, in a time when perhaps it wasn't as easy to do so and um, can can speak to their specific experiences and, and what they hope to see going forward as, as a future. And I think a lot of them are very invested, in fact, in your progress and you moving forward and you uh, succeeding and, and achieving what you want to achieve as a woman. So I think that that's, that's been very inspiring, I think, to see for me personally as I connect with alumni. No, that's really great. Uh, I think it's a, uh, there's a bit of a dynamic shift too. Uh, my mom worked in the government my whole life growing up, but she was the only woman in her role. She, she was the WIC director of Women, Infants, and Children. It's a social program. Um, but she was the only person in her role. Like uh, There were no state women. It was a women's program, but no women ran state programs. It was just, it was really weird. Um, but it, what it did is it made women competitive. They felt like there weren't enough spots, so they actually did not help each other. Um, and so, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was this, uh, 
sense of scarcity, I think. Uh, so, and some of that was unintentional uh, and organic, but when you feel like there aren't enough spots, it can make people kind of compete for that scarcity. Um, it's really nice when things kind of turn and, and you feel like, okay, I've made it. I want to help make sure I see other people make it. Um, and manage to have work-life balance or, or whatever the case may be, not just that you get the job, but that you stay in the role and you enjoy the role and, and things like that. So just to go back to, for example, the Bain thing, um, the, the UN event, I mean, we, we, had, we had refugees there and we we're talking about women in all different socioeconomic levels and, and opportunities that were there. But the thing they did at Bain was flex hours where they could take off at four o'clock in the afternoon, pick kids up from school, uh, feed them dinner and then go work from like seven to 11, right? It doesn't mean you're not working consulting hours, 80 hours a week, banking, you know, it used to be a hundred. I don't know what it is now, right? But um, it, the, just just a little bit of flexibility, um, I th think helped uh, people a lot. Um, and then obviously I think if you can uh, have more gender equality when it comes to raising families and, and things of that nature and, and make men, you know, for example, there's a funny thing that where it's like uh, it's not called babysitting if it's your own kids, right? Like that men aren't babysitting. Um, it's like they're yours, dude. Um, you're, you're in this together, <laughs> <Very> right? <true. laughs> um, and so it does. It's like it's just part of the nomenclature. I mean, it's part of this kind of built into our DNA thing of, of there's still a lot of gender uh, roles and stuff like that. And then that extends to uh, how we all do our jobs. So, so it's really cool that you have people rooting for you um, and that you guys come from two different countries, two different industries, um, but have had such positive experiences. And, and again, this all comes out of the same club, which is, you said it's the only women's sports club at Wharton? Yeah, I think there, there are like some which are like mixed, like volleyball, but like I think men's, men's team, um, there are many more men's team um, at, at Wharton, I feel, um, but yeah, like, we are the the only like female um, sport clubs. Well, that's really cool. Then, um, well, I'm glad we got to talk about that. Um, if I can take just a few minutes more of your time, if we could step back to rugby, um, you know, as you said, you guys get to chat. Uh, you have to have each other's backs. You practice. Uh, you chat. Uh, you, um, I don't know, decompress. I would think a little bit, right? Just from the stresses of life. So, uh, are you chatting about I guess what do those conversations entail? Do you talk about rugby? Does it extend to life? Do you does the school inevitably make its way in? What's the dynamic amongst your your team and your group? Mm, I think like during practices or after. I think it's a mix. Like it's just na like natural. Like like because we're at school together. Like. Most a lot of conversation would be about like oh like how's your week like there are a lot of assignment coming up or like like school discussion is definitely like a big one, um, but also like we just talk about like how like oh there are, there might be parties or something that happen outside of classes that that has happening. It's just like how you just spend time with your normal friends at school, right? Um, yeah, you talk about. Um, like what you're gonna do for like Thanksgiving break, which is coming up, for example. Like how was your last trip? If we just came out of a break, um, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. I I have to admit, like last year, for example, like oh, like I also talked to second years about like oh, like oh, I'm trying to get this internship. Like like I I know that they 
uh, someone, somebody already did it or interned somewhere last year. So I just asked for the advice as well. So like, it's a mix of, of I think, all like parts of life. I think. And Ria, for you? Yeah, I would echo that. It's very much kind of a mixture of what's what's top of mind for you and, and what's top of mind for everyone else. I always think that the great part of of clubs like like the women's rugby club is that you all you all have in theory you're all living the same experience, but it's actually very different experiences, right? Depending on the clubs that you take, the classes that you take, the experiences that you lean into versus the ones that you might not get to see. And I think that that's been a very cool part of of connecting with women. Like I think conversation with starting from how's your week going can kind of end anywhere from, oh, I'm attending this thing, you should come with me, or, hey, I'm recruiting for this, and, and there's this kind of networking um, coffee chats going on, which you may not have known about, and I think that it really kind of opens your eyes to the fact that everyone is on kind of parallel but also very different paths, and uh, that that's something that can be learned or, or taken away from from everything that everyone else is getting up to. So I think, it, yeah, like Will said, it really varies, but very much kind of school, life, and, and everything in between. Oh, that's really cool. Um, it's, it's hard, I think, because it can... It, it's really important to know you're not alone, right? Especially for people that are far from home, right? So ties that are 10,000 miles away. Um, it, it can, at Kellogg, for example, it's really easy to get insular because there's 20 people around and you can have Thai food, you can speak Thai, you can hang out. It's just a big enough network that you can get away with it, right? And it is comforting to know that people are going through the same thing, but it's not only ties that are going through the same thing, right? So you could be 3,000 miles from home. You could come from a different, ethnic background and and you're still you know we're all struggling with a lot of the same things and and you'll find those commonalities but also be shocked and and interested by um some of the nuances that exist there so it, it sounds like these experiences provide both right um that um uh that reminder that you're not alone and, and removal of isolation uh but of course still opening your eyes to these new people new experiences uh, and things of that nature uh, well, I will not keep you guys anymore on your uh, Saturday morning. I really, really appreciate it. Um, uh, I could talk to you for like two more hours, but I'm not allowed to. So mm-hmm. um, I will let you go about your lives. But uh, this has been amazing for everybody, uh, I know, because uh, as I said, there's just so much. Uh, I think it, it gets really siloed in people's minds of okay i'm gonna look at just classes or i'm just gonna look at ranking or i'm just gonna look at the city i mean uh people i've i have people all the time just say i want to go to school in new york and we only do school six school packages so we have to find six schools in new york uh, but it happens a lot uh but to just understand that there are there's so much more to wharton than just finance than just um uh, Philadelphia, um, no school is any one thing, right? Uh, Booth is not just where fun goes to die. Uh, Chicago is not just whatever you think of Chicago as. So uh, whatever schools people are out there looking at and thinking about, uh, this is a really nice reminder that Wharton is a, a richer, um, you know, cultural, um, athletic community <laughs> than than they probably saw on the website in their school research, right? Uh, so I think this adds a, a level of depth that people haven't gotten uh, from the people maybe they've, they've talked to at Wharton or, or what they see um, you know, at the uh, recruiting events and things like that. So uh, this is really helpful to everyone and, and 
and added another facet to what Wharton can mean to people. So thank you both so much for that. Um, and hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving break. Uh, it's a holiday that neither of you celebrate. So that's super <laughs> cool. You get time off for something that doesn't matter to you. Although I'm not sure. I'm American and I'm not completely sure what we're celebrating either. I think it's survival. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So, um, so I guess we can all celebrate survival. Uh, but you have survived a year and a half of NBA. You're almost there. I look forward to being in touch with Will and, and seeing what comes next. And Rhea, um, I will keep tabs on you and, and hope everything works out with you also. Absolutely. And thanks for having us. It's been, been lovely to chat. I really yes, appreciate it. Thanks so much. much. Will, thank you. I'll talk to you again soon, okay? Yep. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank All right, you. Thank you, everyone. Thank Bye. you. Thank you.